oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x fippin' whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't tryna steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What they do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Williams. You can find me on Twitter at M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-A-M-S. Uh, joining me on the show, a very special guest, first time on the show. Uh, really needs no introduction, but for anyone not watching on video, you obviously do need an introduction. So the uh, senior fantasy editor over at USA Today, Mr. Steve Gardner, the man, the myth, the legend. Steve, thank you for taking the time for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for the invite, Matt. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure every first time guest that comes on your show has to comment about that intro and how just rockin' jammin' uh, fantastic it is. So uh, put me in that column. I get a difference of opinion. Most people like it. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Pollock, the pitcher list, loved it. Um, I, Gray Albright from Rasball said that he he fell asleep during it because it was so long. (laughs) Oh, man. I I was moving. I love it. I love it. it. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, And uh, I play it every single time. So uh, today on the show, everybody, we're going to be talking about baseball. Spoiler alert. Uh, There's a few interesting non-fantasy things. Uh, Something interesting happened in Detroit last night we'll talk about. Um, But for the main topic of the show is going to be some early season breakouts, mostly pitchers uh, because hitters. I mean, we've gotten to the point where there's enough data for the most part, but um, uh, for some hitters, but pitchers, you can, you you know, I think there's a lot more interesting topics for the pitching. So we're going to talk about some early season breakouts for uh, some starting pitching, whether we believe they're legitimate or not. And um, we'll talk about a little bit of uh, ask Steve a few questions about some things that have happened so far as far as early season performance and whether he believes them or not. But first, we're going to jump into some latest news which the first topic on the latest news is kind of an ongoing story but last night um in the Mets game we we're, we're going to talk about the new baseball so I want to just say that first it, the new baseball as far as fantasy goes is is depressing the offense it's uh, keeping home runs down um and depressing offense like overall although you have a, occasional like blow up games like the Cubs score like you know, 20 runs the other day. So, right. crazy. so um, I wanted to kind of get your take on the baseball in general, Steve, because I mean, it's twofold uh, in the very beginning of the year. I believe that uh, Ian Kennedy uh, over on the, the Diamondbacks, he said that early in the year, they were definitely using one ball. He said that the mud was taking to it. It was very porous. And then it was obvious when they introduced a second ball and everyone seems to be on board that there is another ball, at least two, because one is slick and it just feels completely different. The New York Mets, my team, they've been hit 18 times. So on top of the uh, the ball, you know, uh, uh, some of the balls being different, people are still having trouble with command like they were last year. I mean, way too many people are getting hit. Mets alone, they've been hit in the head like four to five times. Pete Alonso twice. Someone's going to get seriously injured. 
Chris Bassett was uh, quoted after the game saying mm-hmm. that there, he thinks there could be several different baseballs. He doesn't even know. Um, and he just said, you know, he just kind of voiced his complaints, has aired his grievances. Uh, but, you know, for everyone listening, they care about fantasy baseball for the most part, Steve. So what is your take on the new baseball and how do you prepare for it? Is there anything you can do? Because we don't know information and I think it's pretty obvious we're never going to have a clear picture. Uh, but, you know, yeah. with yeah, with home runs being down, it obviously affects everyone. Do you go after players with more surefire, no doubt power? Uh, is there anything that you think you can do? Is there anything you have done? Actually, I, I don't know. <laughs> and that's a great answer for the, you know, for me to come on. And the first thing to say uh, when, when you ask me a question is, I don't know. But I think that's true for everybody is that if you are going to have several different kinds of baseballs and nobody knows which ones will be in play in even inning to inning, as opposed to game to game um, to where you can adjust. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the things is that why the pitchers are, are so upset and, uh, and they don't like what's going on because they can't tell. And I think what baseball was telling us, MLB was telling us before the season is we are going to make things as standard as possible. We are going to have the single baseball and it may be, you know, a little deflated or uh, a little uh, less juicy than ever, but it was going to be the same baseball and we were going to have the humidor in all 30 parks to where the consistency of of the you know the moisture and all of that will be the same and it seems like we haven't gotten that at least anecdotally and and I think for that reason it's really hard to to figure out what to do for us as as fantasy players and for the players um you know how do you construct your lineup you know how do you go about your pitching uh game plan that sort of thing and I think that's where you get to, you know so much confusion and and so much so many people being upset with what's going on right now in terms of of what the results have been so far we have to have the big caveat of it's april and remember that the weather generally is cooler more uh conducive for pitchers conditions than hitters conditions and the fact that we didn't start at the beginning of April either, our, our small April sample size, if we start comparing it to previous Aprils, is going to be even smaller. So those are all things that, that we have to take into consideration and just say, all right, let's see what the player's actual skills are, the things that they're actually doing, and is that significant? And uh, really, you have to take it on a, on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it, you you, you want to do something. You feel like you should. Right. But, you know, other than anything that you would do is something you kind of should do anyway. Someone was asking me, should I buy low on like high, you know, pure power hitters like when Fran Mel Reyes was off to a slow star, Hori Soler? You should do that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it doesn't mm-hmm. really, you know, like, yes, you should, but it doesn't necessarily change anything. Someone also asked me, like, should I um, sell high on some of my s- stud pitchers. Like if pitching is overall going to be better, like, is it though? The good pitchers are still, I mean, the, the variance in um, production is still where you think it would be between the top and bottom. So like I said, it affects everybody, um, every team in your league. There probably will be a few instances where it does help an occasional hitter here or there. But again, we, we really yeah. can't tell. So there's nothing you can do. Um, so to everybody stay, stay the course. 
Um, we're no, we're still in April. We'll see. Um, it, the the uh, the the hitters getting hit uh, by pitches is an issue. So I think it's an issue Rob Manfred cannot ignore as much as he probably would like to. He probably just sigh of relief every time no one actually gets seriously injured. But it's getting to the point where uh, they may have to do something uh, at least to get help the pitchers get a little more grip on the ball. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, until that happens, there's nothing we can really do. Um, One of the things what- about I'll just say on the on the hits by pitches, the Mets certainly have a gripe because they're getting hit more than anybody. But really, you look at league-wide, it's still pretty much the same as it was last year. So I wonder if you know maybe the Mets, because of their prominence, are, are making this into uh, you know, something that's, that's bigger than life because it's affecting them, whereas you know, it may not be affecting the Mariners or the Royals or, or some of the other teams as much. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll, no, I agree. It's a, it's definitely a, a profile thing, and I also think the uh, the fact that uh, so many of the of the hit by pitches have been in the helmet. Yeah, um, it, I mean, like it, like anything. I mean, the 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 uh, the Buster Posey rule at, at home plate. Uh, s- things will happen and happen and happen until it happens to the wrong person, uh, mm-hmm. and, and exactly. things happen. So yeah, when you have a high when you have a high profile team, and a, a player like Pete Alonso get hit in the head twice, people start to notice. So. Uh, we'll see. I think something will probably happen. We probably won't know about it. They'll probably still have three different balls. Um, I don't know why they just didn't go with the Japanese pre-tack ball. You um, Darvish brought it over. He showed everyone. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's basically I have a baseball and it just kind of has like a pre-spray or something on it with a tack material already on the ball. Yeah. Uh, and they use it over in Japan. So I don't know. Maybe something. And they like used that. it in the Olympics too, didn't they? And I yeah. think it got generally good reviews there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone liked it. Yeah, the pit, the, the hitters had no problem with it. Pitchers had no problem with it. Why aren't we using it? I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, one hitter that uh, does not seem to be phased by the new <laughs> baseball is Anthony Rizzo. He had a hat trick yesterday, three home runs, albeit at Yankee Stadium. I'm not taking anything away from Anthony Rizzo, but two of his home runs were hit at a launch angle of 48 degrees and uh, 37 degrees. The other one, 35, the expected batting average of 180 and 010. 010. Uh, I mean, that ball was not going out anywhere but Yankee Stadium, but the the Yankees traded for him for a reason. Um, they wanted to let, they traded for Joey Gallo. They trade not that his power needs any help, but Anthony Rizzo was, uh, you were hoping he'd take advantage of this. He didn't last year, like the way you wanted to, they bring him back and boom, this is what you were kind of hoping to see. So, um, do you think this is just kind of an early season thing? Or do you think we legitimately might be seeing like maybe a career power output? Because, hey, I mean, Curtis Granderson, remember what he did in New York? I mean, uh, you know, the, it doesn't matter what age you are. If your swing is built for that right field porch, uh, magical things can happen. He has eight home runs on the season. Yeah. Uh, and seven of those have come at home. So yeah. talk about, you know, taking advantage of, of where you're playing. I Personally, I thought this is what Joey Gallo would be. When he came to New York, I, I really thought, you know, even his pop-ups would have a chance of going out. But uh, Joey Gallo is kind of at the other end of the spectrum and having a really horrible start. But yeah, uh, Rizzo, he's hitting the ball hard. I think like like a 50% hard hit rate, you know, that puts him in the top 10 in the majors in barrels per plate uh, appearance. And uh, yeah, that's it's it's a case where he's a veteran hitter. He knows what pitchers are doing, and he knows how he can exploit that, especially when he's playing in Yankee Stadium. So uh, I don't think he's going to go and, and lead the majors in home runs, but 
he's certainly proven that uh, you know that he has the ability to hit them, especially at Yankee Stadium, and he's on a pretty hot streak in in terms of his performance and just hitting the ball hard. And when you do that, good things happen. Uh, and you know what? I will say this. I mean, I I don't want anyone to get really, uh, um, you know, you don't want to overreact to anything early in the season, but. Mm-hmm. He could he could lead the league in home runs. I mean, I, I like you said, I, I don't think he's going to. Uh, but this I don't think this is a sell high situation. I think if you have him, this is a wow. He has this is something that could certainly continue. We haven't even gotten to the warm weather yet. So yeah, yeah, he's probably not leading the league in home runs. Joey Gallo can certainly and probably will still catch him, uh, struggling with his like, you know, two hundred batting average or if he can mm-hmm. manage to get there. But um yeah, Anthony Rizzo, I think this is Somewhat legitimate, and it, it's something that we, you know, we could certainly see a, a career high in home runs from Anthony Rizzo. Um, Al Dalberto Mondesi leaves the game with an injured knee. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, I there's no victory lapping uh, injuries ever. And now, you know, there's some people out there that like to do it. This is why don't we just say this is not a surprise. Um, it's unfortunate to ever see anyone go down. You know, he's, he's an exciting guy. He'd already stolen five bases this year. We always wonder what could happen when, if he could be healthy for an entire year, he stole 43 bases back in 2019, 443 plate appearances. Um, he stole 32 in 2018 to 291 plate appearances. Who knows what he could do? Um, I'm not sure how serious it is. It looks like it's not as bad as people were hoping, but again, knee injury to speedster, not great. Uh, but he was off to a slow start at the plate, batting 140 with a 37 strike percent strikeout rate. Yeah. But a- as flawed as he is, like one of the you know the, uh, as far as plate discipline, he's one of the worst hitters in baseball. Like you know, Javier Baez overcomes it. Uh, Victor Robles almost did, and then obviously he has not found a way back. Uh, but when on the field, he uh, Mondesi was able to put up like a 256, 263, 276 batting average for three years in a row. Probably, you know, a large help to his speed. He has like the in those years, he had a bab up like 350, 357. So um, what do you do if you have Aldoberto Mondesi? One, are you a Mondesi guy, Steve? Because you have one way or the other. You're, you're dropping <laughs> that speed or you're not. He was giving you the speed. So 140 average or not. I mean, at least he was giving you that. I, I would think that he, the batting average would turn around somewhat. As Babbitt was two thirty three, it was it was probably going to bounce back. His expected batting average was still two thirty one. So low Babbitt or not, apparently he was hitting to where his level should be. So what do you do with Monacy yeah. now? Um, if uh, if you're a Monacy guy, uh, like yeah, what 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 do you what do you do with him right now? I have been on both sides of the fence, um, and uh, I just I think back. This is maybe a weakness of mine, but when I see guys do things that Mondesi did at the end of the the 2020 season um, in September, when he was the most valuable hitter for that month with the power and the stolen bases, it's so I don't know intoxicating is the right word, but just to think of what you could get if that guy could stay healthy. I mean, it's the same sort of um, same sort of analogy with Byron Buxton and things are going awfully well for him this year, but Mondesi again, the, the injury situation with him and the fact that, uh, you know, he, he does have a lot of swing and miss and that's, that's the real big problem. You talked about the, the 37% uh, K rate. That's where the issue is with me. And, uh, I was, I was all in on him last year because I felt like, you know, he could carry that success from 2020 and then boom, the injuries 
pretty much made it a, a, a lost season. So I was avoiding him pretty much everywhere this year. And just for that reason, because, you know, once burned, um, I'm a little bit shyer this season. And uh, so far, uh, I think the bat has been the real disappointment. Obviously, the steals have been great. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not, not, uh, not a big fan going forward. The um, yeah he he Amandesi Aldoberto Amandesi we're talking about everybody he won fantasy championships in 2020 I mean I don't want to say single handedly you got to play the entire season but it was a short season right so yeah, it was two I months mean, yeah he kind of he kind of like put people uh, he, he probably drug people from like the middle of the standings to a championship that's how much of an impact he had I drafted him once last year I wanted um I wanted to try something I took uh, Mike Trout in the first round. Was worried about his speed, uh, just because of the you know the trend we had saw. I right. took Mondesi in the second. I thought if these two stay healthy, it's over. Of course, I didn't do well in that league. <laughs> Neither of them played very many games, but yeah, it's it's something to be worried about. I don't have any shares this year. I mean, injuries. I, I play enough leagues and draft and holds where I usually mm-hmm. try to maybe get at least a couple of uh, a share or two of the really mm-hmm. dynamic guys in case they go off, but. Yeah, the talk in the uh, offseason with the Royals, we're talking about platooning him, maybe even benching him. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that hadn't happened yet. But, yeah, it looks like the the injury isn't serious. Um, if he comes back and he gets a spark, again, I don't know what you could do. If you believe in him, you believe in him. So there's maybe not a ton of actionable information here. We're not yeah. telling you anything you don't know. But, you know, when any when uh, when a speedster like him gets, uh, you know, the knee injury, we had to talk about it. So. I'll tell you one it. one quick Mondesi note, Matt. Uh, you reminded me I did similar sort of thing in uh, AL Labor last year. I decided that I was going to try and punt batting average, and so Mondesi then with power and speed, I was thinking he's the perfect guy to build around, and uh, I, I pretty much punted everything in, uh, <laughs> in AL Labor last year. Did not work out so well. So uh, yeah, I'm. I'm going to back off and and the fact that you know Nicky Lopez can play shortstop and Whit Merrifield can play second base and Bobby Witt Jr. can play third base yes. they if he's not hitting um they don't need to play him every day I mean, imagine um a punting batting average if you draft if these guys all stayed healthy and had solid years if you had Montesi Gallo Sano Mm-hmm. <laughs> man, you could do some damage if you punted batting average. Obviously, you need to bang. If you're punting a category, anybody, I mean, you obviously need to bang on all cylinders mostly everywhere else. But, uh, you know, it, it can be done. Um, one other player who had a monster game yesterday, Willie Adamas, a very popular sleeper pick, I guess. Uh, I mean, he he was always solid in Tampa Bay. He went over Milwaukee, kind of uh, tore it up when he went over there. And he just seemed like a popular choice this year of a um, shortstop was a very, very deep position, very top heavy. And there was like a tier at the very back with like Dansby Swanson, who's having his own strikeout issues and Willie Adamas. He was off to a very, very slow start, but uh, yesterday turned it around in a hurry, four for five, two home runs, seven RBIs. Um, so where are your thoughts on uh, Adamas? Is this, is this something where you feel uh, you would try to, sell high or is this just like you are you a believer in Adamas you just said well it's about time hopefully he gets it going here because I'm an Adamas guy I have I have a couple of shares here or there um so I'm hoping that this is just the beginning of something obviously we're not getting two home runs all the time in a single game but uh, yeah what are your thoughts on Willie Adamas 
I thought he was a great pick, you know, if especially in deeper leagues um, to get at a middle infield spot because of all the great shortstops that we had kind of at the top of the of the position. I love it. I mean, the difference in the hitter that he was when he left Tampa Bay and, and we've heard all about, you know, he couldn't the backdrop there, the hitting the batter's eye just made it difficult for him to see the ball. And then he comes to Milwaukee starts hitting home runs left and right. And and this year, kind of continuing that, I think kind of the telling stat for him is that his walk rate just keeps climbing. You know, it, it after he left Tampa Bay and went to Milwaukee last year, walk rate went up. This year, it's, it's close to 12%. Strikeout rate is down. I mean, those are great indicators. And to me, I, I think Willie Adamas is, is here to stay and could, you know, he could break into that upper level tier, you know, where the, the Carlos Correa's and, and guys like that are um, fairly easily. And uh, it seems to me he's still, even after maybe last night's game, still flying a little bit under the radar. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, uh, the kind of um, production we saw when he went to Milwaukee, the power was certainly uh, going to be there, but he gives you a little more speed upside than, you know, a Seager or Correa. They are obviously on another um, level as far as track record, but mm-hmm. the, the speed helps. So getting up to that level is a little easier, especially at least in Roto. Um, that does it mostly for the uh, the latest news, but we're going to talk about one in particular play uh, that happened last night that we just have to talk about. It happened over in Detroit. So why don't we just play a little bit of audio <laughs> to get everyone, everyone caught up. Line drive right field. Over the glove and Grossman. Larnick had to hold up. He's going to be held there. And the Twins have filled the bases, and now Sano goes towards second, and that forces the runner from second, and now it's thrown away. One run will score, and the Twins are going to win the game. Wow. Uh, if anyone didn't watch this, uh, if anyone didn't watch the video, the the uh, the Twins were down three, uh, four runs to three, Ninth inning, two outs. They had a man on first and third. Miguel Sano's at the plate. He hits a fly ball that should have been caught to Robbie Grossman. Goes over his head. He frantically panics. Nice relay throw into Jonathan Shope, who then throws just one of the most brutal relay throws Holmes I've ever <laughs> seen ever. It like one hop, fifteen feet in front of him to Eric Haas, who had the man, who had now had a man on third. Sitting there, frozen at third. Miguel Sano, who hit the ball, tries to advance to second for some reason, forcing the man at second to try to advance to third, which, again, no one has to go anywhere. And uh, Eric Haas, who has the ball, does not need to throw it. He does not need to throw it to third. But for some reason, I don't know if he just didn't see the man on third because he was standing there and he thought that he was trying to get the the runner advancing to third out. But either way, he airmails it way in the left field and then the two runs come in and the Twins win the game. Really one of the screwiest plays I've ever seen, Steve. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. I mean, I, I put out a tweet that said this is Black Sox type stuff. Some people said Little League, which is also fair, but this is like if you were trying to like, you know, point shaving, run shaving, this 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 is even this was a little over the top for that it wasn't even that subtle i mean it was that bad um i'm not suggesting that's obviously not what happened but i mean these were bad plays so man what do you think i mean because i mean not only was this just a horrible play obviously on the detroit part who lost what was up with the base running by the twins what were they doing 
I, 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 there's so many unanswered questions with that, but I will say, you know, in having played in, in my share of games, you know, whether it's softball or, or baseball or, or, or wiffle ball, you know, anything stuff happens. And yep. if you get confused and you're not, you know, aware of exactly what's going on and all sorts of different crazy things that you're not expecting happen, you know, at the same time, your head starts spinning and it is it is a horrible feeling yeah. <laughs> to, to be so confused and, and have no idea what to do. I, I think these are professionals, but at least four people on that diamond on that play were in that situation where they they just lost their minds. And uh, listening to the radio call reminds me of remember the play that Ruben the base running play that Ruben Rivera of the Giants made gosh how long is it 15 some odd more than that maybe years ago john miller was on the radio call for the giants and i remember listening to that and and how john miller was just so flawless in capturing not only what was going on on the diamond but how crazy everything was and I think his his summation was that has to be the worst base running in the history of baseball. Um, th- it reminded me of that. It was it was that crazy. So I have I have no idea what uh, at least four people were thinking, but you you won't see it again. Yeah, I, I you don't want to pile on because, like you said, things happen. You get confused. The exciting, you know, uh, that was such a weird combination of activity, really. Uh, that. Again, I think Eric Haas, I swear, I don't even think he knew that that one runner was standing on third was there. I think his eyes were squarely on the guy advancing because he must not have known he was there. Otherwise, why throw it? Yeah, um, you just run him back. And yeah, you just run somebody. Back. I mean, it's kind of like, a you know, it, I mean, this was like the Sierra play, like mixed in with the 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 Javier Baez Pirates play from last year. <laughs> it's all like right. all this stuff mixed together. It's yeah, uh, and there was the Brett Phillips walk off in the World Series a couple of years. Yeah, ago. and the Luis Castillo missed infield <laughs> fly. It's like you morph oh. them into a baby, and then you got this play. So yeah, it was unfortunate. But if you haven't seen it, I mean, I have it posted on my Twitter account. You see it anywhere? Just type in Tigers walk off. You will see or a Twins walk off, and you will see a uh, a video of it. And it was. <laughs> was spectacularly horrible um but i mean it's part of baseball you hate to see it again everyone it was very interesting to watch it's just no matter what you see in baseball there's always something else it's like there's always first which always boggles my mind that you just Mm -hmm. see all these things all the time like how has that never happened before and every single year there's like different things that that um that happened like that, like the Mets have won their first six series of the, of the year for the first time in uh, franchise history, 1962, which I'll throw that in there because, you know, Homer, Homer thing. Uh, I'll throw you one more thing too. talk about going to uh, the ball. You, you never know what you'll see at the ballpark. I went um, last week, went to a Mets game, um, was up in New York and went to a Mets Giants game. And um, I had never seen Edwin Diaz's intro music. Oh, the trumpets. <laughs> so that to me, you know, it was like, whoa, check this out. This is really wild. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be something unusual, but um, go to the ballpark. You'll see something you haven't seen before. I know it's, 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 it's all baseball is awesome. Um, so getting in, that's the uh, latest news. We we're just talking about the Detroit's walk-off nightmare. Um, 
early season breakouts. So I said, we we're going to be talking about a lot of starting pitchers. There's a couple of hitters we'll hit at the end, but uh, some, some players that are off to a really good start, but in terms of these are pitchers that are taking a step forward that, um, you know, a lot of people maybe had their eye on. Is this something that we think is just the beginning of something greater? Or do we think this is just a, a solid beginning? The first guy up is Logan Gilbert. Well, I love Gilbert. A lot of people have. He had his struggles last year. I did one of my full breakdowns. If anyone wants to read that, it's still very relevant. Just 2022 player breakdowns. Uh, my concern with him from last year is he had an unbelievable changeup. He wasn't throwing as much. He just, a you know, young pitcher, wasn't trusting his stuff. Mainly his issue was his fastball. He was not elevating it enough. He was trying to, but... I mean, it's, you know, that's a, it's a sticky situation where you elevate the fastball and you don't elevate it enough it's a home run. And that's what was happening. It happened to him in spring training. He was just cruising. And all of a sudden there's this one, I think one in particular spring training game. I can't remember. He was just cruising through like two innings. And then all of a sudden he couldn't, uh, he couldn't elevate his fastball enough and he got down like, like five or seven runs. Uh, but he's off to a great start this year. Uh, 22 and a third innings, 22 strikeouts, uh, 0.4 ERA, 0.85 whip. And uh, everything is looking solid. I mean, his his pitch mix is essentially the same four seam slider as kind of what he comes at you with. Uh, overall, his slider hasn't been as dominant as last year, but his location has just been better. And I, in my opinion, that was his problem. And we've seen it. We'll see hiccups here and there. But I mean, I think Logan Gilbert is is breaking out. I think that I kind of was hoping and expecting this. Some people were. So it's easy for me to say that you know I think that he is. Uh, he is doing this, uh, you know, this is very repeatable and he is some of the, he's staying in the games pretty deep. I mean, 22 and a third innings, that's kind of one of the, some of the most in the majors right now. So yeah. What are your thoughts on Logan Gilbert? Steve? Yeah. I, I liked him coming into this season. Didn't get him really anywhere that I can, that I can remember. So that's kind of uh, you know, some FOMO for me. Um, interesting stat on him. He allowed a run in his first inning of the year and has allowed none since. Um, which is which is pretty fantastic. I think with him, I look at the fact that uh, his strand rate is at ninety seven percent, thanks to uh, thanks to all of those zeros that he strung together. Obviously, that's not sustainable, and uh, and so his his FIP is a lot higher than his ERA. But still, you know, I, I think what you're talking about the development, um, the the prospect pedigree. We knew he was going to be good even when he was struggling. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on board. It was tough to get um, Logan Gilbert this year because in drafts, you were mentioning FOMO. It's, it was, uh, he was going in an interesting area of drafts. This is just a NFBC main events. I just wanted mm-hmm. to pull up some ADP real quick. And, you know, everyone there obviously knows what they're doing. Uh, the, the four pitchers taken in front of them starting pitching, uh, Sean Manea, Luis Garcia, Eduardo Rodriguez, Chris Bassett, the ones right after him, Tyler Molly, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Michael Kopik. Um, you know, he, he was going in a very, a very strong area for starting pitching. So, uh, you not only did you have to, um, you know, want to select him, but you know, you had to pick him over a lot of very interesting um, options as well. And if you know, if Nate Evaldi fell, I mean, he was taken only uh, around right. before him as well. So there's a lot of guys going in that area. But Logan Gilbert off to a great start. Uh, I think he'll continue. Eric Lauer, 13 strikeouts <laughs> the other day. We didn't see that coming last year. His, yeah. his high was nine. Uh, he had a cheering section as well. He was a late round guy. People, A lot of people thought that there was tons of value to be had here. Someone that was kind of buried behind Woodruff, 
Burns and Peralta in a really strong Milwaukee rotation. I don't think the strikeouts are obviously going to continue here. Um, I mean, the strikeouts will continue, but maybe like at more of a 9K per 9, uh, not like whatever the 11 or 13 he's sitting at right now right. off the top of my head. Right. But, um, what are your thoughts on Lauer? Because 26 years old, there certainly is plenty of reason to believe that he could kind of turn it on a little bit. He's throwing the uh, the four-seam fastball a little less this year, and he's throwing his curveball now 22%. It was at 14.5, and um, he's kind of throwing an even mix as his number two curve slider and cutter, and he's having some really good success with it. It looks like he kind of found a nice sweet spot for um, his pitch mix, so it's, it's definitely possible he takes a step forward like everyone was hoping for, but what do you think that step forward could look like right now? He's sitting at 16 and a third innings, 23 strikeouts. Again, that is helped by one 13 strikeout game, but two, two OER, I one Oh four whip. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you think of Eric Lauer going forward? Is, is he a guy you'd want to sell high if anyone's buying into this extreme start, or do you think he's just a solid hold? I, I think that he, he's somebody that came on my radar kind of later in draft season. Um, and the, the one thing with him is, at least so far this season, you mentioned the pitch mix, um, maybe throwing the fastball less, but it makes it more effective. And he's gained you know, a, a mile and uh, a half almost. Uh, miles per hour on the fastball from last year, 2.3 miles per hour from 2020. So he's getting the extra velocity. That makes that a better pitch. That makes his other pitches that much more effective. So yeah, I think he's a hold for right now. And and I like the Brewers. Obviously, you're playing in the NL Central. There's some some nice matchups there. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of on board with Eric Lauer. Yeah, I agree. He's a hold. I, I think that uh, if you were going to try to trade him, uh, you probably wouldn't get enough in return to even make it worth your while. So uh, even if you, you know, even if there is some profit to be had, I think you're better off holding on to him. Uh, you know, at worst case scenario, I think he's a solid pitcher, but you never know. You might have something special here, so you might as well hold. Not a lot of name value, I guess. Yes, that's that's kind of the trading currency right now at this point in the season. I mean, you've got your stats that you can say, but if you're trying to trade a player, somebody could say, oh, well, it's early. Um, I'm not buying into that. But name value, I think, like you could you could probably trade Logan Gilbert for a whole lot um, because people believe that and, and uh, you know, see the stats and everything. So you've got both of those. But um, Eric Lauer, I think people are just like, meh, uh, I'm not going to give you much. <laughs> well, and there's a, a one, one player, and that was Eric Lauer, one player you could certainly trade right now. Uh, that didn't really have the cheering section preseason. There, there was certainly some, but the, the for how he's performing right now, Kyle Wright of the Braves is on a different level of what people mm. like were hoping for. 17 innings, 26 strikeouts, 106 ERA, 0.76 whip. He's kind of at the top of the league in everything you want to see. Uh, 39.4K percentage, top 5% of yeah. the league. Only a 3% walk rate. I mean, about as elite as you want to see. His expected well right now is only 213. No one expects that to continue, but plenty of people may actually be expecting him to kind of turn an ace-like number. So this is an interesting early season decision because if you are a team that maybe looks like um, you maybe were hit with injuries, you could really look to fl- – you really need a bat. He is someone you could, Kyle Wright is someone you could trade right now and probably get a decent return. The only question is, do you want to do it? Because he looks really, really legitimate right now. 
Um, so you kind of, this is a, like I said, this is an interesting early season decision because I think everyone knows that it looks pretty legitimate, but he's off to such a fire start. It depends on how much can you get? So it's that gamble. Like, do I give up this guy? And like, everyone always doesn't want to lose a trade. Doesn't want to embarrass themselves. You never want to give up the guy who's going to give you that monster season. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Just general decision-making of giving up that like hot starter to try to get a return because uh, you know, it's, it's hard to pull the trigger on, but more often than not, it's the right decision because you're technically on most players, especially earlier round ones, your, your view of them shouldn't really change too much this early in the year. So it's, it's perfect to go after some struggling hitters early. So uh, again, but you know, more specifically on Kyle, Wright, What are your thoughts on him? And what are your thoughts on just the conundrum of trying to trade away someone off to such an amazing start? Yeah, I think Kyle Wright is is a great example of those early season chips that you can cash in because I don't think anybody paid hardly anything for him because he wasn't really drafted in most leagues unless you're really, really deep. Um, He didn't have a rotation spot. And then he comes in and lights the world on fire and it's like okay i've got this lottery ticket you know it, it's like um i don't know you've got, you got a futures bet or something and you're four-fifths of the way there uh you know do you cash that in and say you know i'm not i'm not gonna ride this the whole way um when the payoff if you do is huge and and i think one of the things we have to remember is that Conrad does have the prospect pedigree. I mean, he was a first round pick in 2017. Um, He had a great outing in the world, you know, game four of the world series. He came in through, you know, four innings plus of one run ball against the Astros. And, you know, he he has shown that he can do this sort of thing, but, you know, 26 to two strikeout to walk rate, uh, swinging strike rate of 16.7%, which is, which is fantastic. I mean, those numbers, you can't fake that. And uh, so for those reasons, um, I, I was one of those people in, in one of my leagues. Uh, I was able to to pick him up off the waiver wire in week one. And I'm not trading him. Um, I, I guess I could explore that, but I'm really enjoying the fact that I have a pitcher who has been you know, one of the best in everything so far this early uh, in the season. If you had Kyle Wright, and you have the opportunity to trade him for, I'm going to start at a higher level and I'm going to go a little more expensive okay. after that. It, one for one, you were offered Tyler Molly. No interest? No, I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so either. Uh, so let's go a little more. I mean, preseason, that was a slam dunk. But at least I'm just trying to mm-hmm. generate, uh, give yeah. everyone a baseline of where we think we are. Jose Barrios. Hmm. I think that is actually the fair line, which is why I kind of drew it here. Yeah. I think, I think that's where you have to think about it, and that's where it's difficult. The brain yep. says this is an accept. You must take Jose Barrios, but you don't want to do it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and you think about um, you know, Jose Barrios going through the American League East, you know, and having to face the Rays and the Red Sox and, yeah. and the Yankees. Um, do you want to have, you know, do you want to stress out about that? All those times that uh, that he's going to face those teams, um, while Kyle Wright is facing the, the Nationals and uh, maybe the Marlins and and teams like that, 
Um, that's that's a tough call. And you're right. Your brain says that's that's kind of a no brainer. And and yet I don't know that I'd be able to pull the trigger on it. Yeah, I, it's tough, right? Uh, mm-hmm. For everyone listening, I mean, you want to say it's fantasy baseball. There's some people that play it that are really good that do not even watch baseball. I don't understand how people do that. Baseball is awesome, but um, they do it because you just remove the names from the back of the jerseys and you're just playing math. This is, after all, a math game. Um, you, you're looking at how can someone have changed your mind so much in less than a month where you would be turning down that trade. But emotions certainly get involved here. You get invested in a player, especially if you're the one who has right. Everyone overvalues their own players. Right. They're your babies. You don't want to give them up. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I, <I'm> just, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I, I, I the, It's a no brainer to accept and I wouldn't do it. Uh, but, you know, such as... Fancy baseball. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, where, where are you leaning? I get the feeling you wouldn't do it either. I, I, I don't think I could. And, and you know, Burrios was what going in fifth round, something like that, in yep. in mixed leagues, and trade him. You wouldn't want him for a guy you picked up off the waiver wire. It, uh, it sounds ridiculous on the face of it, but you know, we're. Our, our brains are, are funny things. And, All right, we're uh, push it one, I'm going to push it one step further, which I okay. think is a, is, is a step too far. Uh, Robbie Ray. I would take mm. Rob. I would take Robbie Ray. I, th- I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's, his slider is struggling. He only has his two pitch mix, but you can argue that since he has a two pitch mix and his slider is not working. That's a worry. I would mm. argue also, though, that it's um, as soon as he gets more of a feel for that. Um, what happens when he does? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that that exactly. And he hasn't had terrible results so far. The strikeouts just haven't been there, which is bizarre. And you know they're coming back. They just mm-hmm. are. So, But, I mean, the fact that you even have to think about it, I mean, I guess gives you a good idea of uh, the value Kyle <laughs> Wright has right now. The Cy Young Award winner from last year yeah. versus a waiver wire pickup. People, you got to think about it. Um, and you have so, to think about it. So again, for everyone listening to Kyle Wright, you heard me. You heard us say that we wouldn't want Jose Brias, but it kind of shows you no matter how good he's doing, that is the kind of value he has right now. So if you're struggling, mm-hmm. or if you have some injuries, some long-term ones, um, and you need or an to, excess of pitching, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you can. I mean, we're going pitcher to pitcher. If you need a hitter. Uh, it's the opposite side. You can just see what kind of value you can get here. So uh, by no means sell low. Um, get your money's worth. If there's an entire league out there. Someone's going to be in love with Kyle Wright. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, you know, if, yeah, if you, if you have, if you have the means to move, move him, he's, uh, he's worth a lot right now. Uh, someone who's not worth a lot, but off to a great start is Merrill Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had a cheering section in the preseason. Um, there was people that were kind of, uh, hopeful for him, at least in deep leagues and 12 team leagues. Obviously he's, he's not someone that should be, should be rostered preseason, but right now 21 and a third, 22 strikeouts, uh, one six nine ERA. He does have a one, two, seven whip. Uh, he has about an 8% walk rate at right now, 24.7 K rate, perfectly accessible pitcher for any kind of 15 team league. He's a great guy to have on there. Um, where do you access his value for 12 team leagues? If anyone's in there in those, in a, a little of the more shallow formats or the, I guess the most pop, more popular one, 12 team is he, is Merrill Kelly, someone you feel should be rostered 
in all leagues, which when I say that, everyone, I want to reiterate, I'll get a lot of DMs. Oh, should I drop so-and-so for him? It doesn't mean you have to roster him. I do feel that there's at least one team in your league. So when you say should be rostered in all formats, Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean you uh, if you have a great pitching staff. Uh, uh, But um, in general, do you think that uh, Merrill Kelly is someone that is a must roster right now in 12 teams? And, you know, with those those leagues, too, I mean, the, the, the last spots on your roster should be ones that you turn over and yes. try and grab the hot hand. So I, I agree. Merrill Kelly certainly fits that category because, you know, what if he can continue? I mean, you definitely want to at least take a flyer on him if you can just pick him up for free. The thing that, that concerns me with him, though, is he's never really been a strikeout pitcher throughout his career. Uh, and, and this year he has been. Um, so uh, his, his swinging strike rate is around 10% right now. Um, which is considerably lower than some of the other pitchers that we've talked about already. Um, the league also, average is around 11.4 for everyone listening for swinging striker. I think the league average is 11.4. Yeah, and and one he's allowed no home runs um, in four starts already this season. Um, that's partly because of a 50% ground ball rate, which is not uh, you know is higher than he usually has. So I, I think there are a lot of signs that point to um, him overachieving right now but again he's he's certainly rosterable and if you can pick him up and get uh, that's another thing too the baseball forecaster ron chandler's baseball forecaster there's there's a a, an excerpt in there um little blurb that talks about pitchers who are pitching well and are, are on a streak of pitching well that generally they will continue to do that and, you know, if you could pick up a guy, maybe he's on a hot streak and you get two or three more good starts before you get a bad start. Um, that's beneficial to you. And especially in leagues where you're churning the bottom of your roster, you know, go ahead and make those spots work for you. Get as much of whatever you can out of them and then, you know, go on to the next guy. Uh, I think Merrill Kelly certainly fits into that kind of category. I'll say one thing. He, um He's off to a start that he's not going to continue as far as on the surface results. Um, one six nine ERA is not happening. Uh, three four four ERAs is expected ERA, I should say. That mm-hmm. that I can buy. Like you said, he doesn't give up a ton of hard contact. He doesn't give up home runs, which is great. <laughs> Prevents blowups. That's what you want from a back end pitcher, right? If you throw Absolutely. him out there, you just don't want him to get destroyed. He had a twenty three point two percent K rate in twenty twenty. This year, twenty four point seven. Last year, his best pitch as far as swing and miss was his changeup only threw it um as his fourth pitch now it's his second one throwing it 22.9 percent of the time along with his fastball 26.8 percent for the fastball 22.9 for the changeup which has a 36.4 percent whiff rate so i mean hey if you have a good pitch throw it more right (laughs) that's what the marlins do with perfect sense so yeah. plus fastball changeup. I mean, the year is 2052 and, and fastball changeup combo still dominates. It's like the most simple thing. Um, and then he's throwing mm-hmm. that cutter third uh, at 19.9% with a 27% whiff rate. I think, I think last year it was fastball sinker curveball, uh, which is more inducive to just weak contact, but fastball changeup cutter. I mean, you're throwing things up there with similar speeds. You're kind of talking about 92, 91, 88, uh, where you have different movement on all of them. And so I kind of buy into 
that he's going to get more strikeouts. But again, mm-hmm. a, maybe over the entire season, a little less than 9K per nine. Um, but if you have enough volume, like, you know, Max Freed, who pitches to weak contact, right. you can get a lot of strikeouts in Roto, um, even not being a strikeout pitcher, just because you throw enough innings to just accumulate them. So I think yeah. that would be I like, you know, a poor man's, a homeless man's version of some of those guys. Um, I, I Adam Wainwright was that guy for me who absolutely. I would look to get, you know, yeah. in this year's drafts. That's what people wanted out of like Marcus Stroman. Um, so, you know, I mean, this is, this is, I think a, a pretty legitimate guy. I think it's someone that you should take a look at. Like you said, if nothing else, pick him up. If it turns around in a bad way, then you can let him go. He is but, a diamond back, you know, so that, yeah. that things could go sideways. They're actually not as, not as horrible. I mean, they're, they're, bet- I picked them to be the biggest turnaround this year, but that's kind of cheating okay. because they could be the worst team in baseball and still have the biggest turnaround. Right. That, that, the Rangers were my pick on that. And uh, so <laughs> yeah, same, sort of, same sort of theory. So that's Merrill Kelly. Uh, moving on next is uh, Tarek Skubal, who I, uh, I, he's someone I was in on. I, uh, I got too many shares early because I drafted in the offseason like in November. So I, I, t- I got so many early shares and I kind of tailed off, but now I kind of wish I went more in on. 25% strikeout rate. Kind of actually low for what you maybe were hoping for. 1.6% walk rate. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah. Uh, his, his, his command looks so much better. He's, com- he's locating his fastball so much better. Uh, so it's, it, you know, his, his whiff stuff, his swing and miss stuff isn't mi- necessarily what you want to see, but he looks like he has more of a plan. Whereas last year, he was so desperate to add another secondary pitch he last year he threw a four seam at certain points not at the same time he as Tarek Skubal threw a four seam fastball a slider a sinker a change up a curveball a split figure and a cutter he's, he's at least honed that in a little bit a little bit and he's throwing mostly four seam slider sinker change up but uh so far I kind of buy into everything we're seeing here there are blow-ups in his future, in my opinion, but what are your thoughts on Tarek Skubal? Do you think uh, that this is a, uh, a breakout we're seeing? Because across the board, uh, you know, strikeouts, less. there's less walks, there's weaker contact. It's just kind of everything you want to see um, out of him early in the season you've seen. Yeah, I, I think I underrated him in my preseason rankings because I wasn't getting him anywhere. And um, so far... The results are great. I will say, though, you know, he's not going very deep into games. He hasn't so far. Um, And his last two starts, he's been at Kansas City and faced Colorado at home. So you can kind of say, I I think we need to, in in analyzing all of these these pitchers who've only had a few starts, get to check out the opposition because you're going to do better against some teams than you may against others. Um, Mm -hmm. The big thing with Scooball, though, no home runs allowed so far in his four starts um, or three or four starts. And last year and, and the year before that allowed over two homers per nine. So that's the real key. If he can suppress home runs and not get hurt by the big innings, then I think he can take a, a, a nice leap forward. Um, otherwise, you know, we could be in for the regression monster to come and get him when he starts facing some offenses that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Yes, uh, absolutely. And again, you, early this season, I know I keep citing ERA and WHIP. They're like worthless uh, to, to cite this early. But again, what else am I going to tell you? Uh, we've been citing some of the stuff behind. But yeah, the, the low walks and the low home runs are the things to, to like there. 
there's nothing totally actionable here. Really nothing. Because if someone drafted Scooble, they believed in him. They're not right. trading him. If And uh, so, I mean, there's nothing to go. But I, I do think there is um, some legitimacy here. You, you brought up baseball um, uh, the, um, baseball HQ, the the forecaster. Mm-hmm. Something I remember, I don't have this off the top of my head. I don't have my, my guide right in front of me. But something that really stood out. As I was looking for a, re- a reason to believe in him, and I do my own breakdowns. And then I read their little blurb. They always do their up. For some players, they have like the up of what they feel their yep. upside. Yep. And I believe for him, it was like a three and a half ERA. And like maybe like something like 15 wins and they had him for like 200 strikeouts. And I'm like, I can buy that. I, mm. I mean, I, you know, worst case scenario, I think I'm getting strikeouts. It's almost the reason I took Robbie Ray last year. I don't believe anyone who says they thought that what was going to happen last year actually happened, no matter who right. they are. Uh, uh-huh. you, you drafted them for strikeouts and you hope for better. And that's kind of what I was hoping for, for Scooble. Mm-hmm. And as, as the draft season went on, he just got a little too expensive. So I stopped drafting him because he wasn't going like where Ray was, you know, because he had a lot of helium, but I do buy it, but I believe everything Steve said is completely true where, you know, let's see how he does when uh, he has some people that can fight back, pick on someone his own size. So uh, mm-hmm. Tarek Skubal, interesting guy so far. Uh, Joe Ryan, another guy with uh, immense uh, cheering section as well over on the twins. I've actually bet the over on his early season strike. Oh, bet the over on his early season strikeout props. Uh, almost every time he's out there, he's out there then today. Um, 16 strikeouts though, 16 innings, 169 ERA, 0.8 whip. He he's, he looks good. He's he's walking 8.3 percent though. Uh, his is uh, expected ERA is about double what um yeah. did, what his current line is. Uh, what are you expecting out of Joe Ryan, who looks if nothing else looks like a steal for the Twins uh, for a half a season in Nelson Cruz last year? Yeah, I um I, I had Joe Ryan and, and Tarek Skubal about the same. Um, maybe Ryan was a little higher in my preseason rankings, and and he's one of those guys that I kind of like because it, he's he's better than the sum of his parts. You you look at at everything, you know, ninety two mile an hour fastball. You're like, oh okay, you know that's that's all right, but it's not overpowering. But yet he gets the job done. He gets the swinging strikes. You know, above average in terms of that rate. Um, so far this year, uh, I think his, his batting average on balls in play is below 200. So he's, he's overachieving there, but you know, this is a kind of guy who, who can do something like that. Maybe not uh, a bad, that low, but can overperform. And, uh, I, I kind of liken him to, uh, to Brad Radke, you know, from the twins from years past, just better than he should be. And, um, and right now that's, that's what Ryan is. I, I like, yeah, I like Ryan. Not much. Uh, I haven't seen much of him as far as watching him live, which I want to, I'm going to try to make a point to do that today. Uh, looking at his pitch mix early on, he looked, you know, he's basically four seam slider and, you know, the slider's working really well for him. 42.9% whiff rate. His curveball, um, he isn't throwing a ton. He's basically using as just a weapon against left-handed batters, mm-hmm. uh, but he's having tremendous success with it. Only 8.4% of the time. and actually mirrors perfectly with his, fastball for anyone listening who's not really familiar with that it's like out of the hand it's coming at you with the same spin um right out of the hand but it, it uh they just kind of break you know one breaks entirely differently um so i, I just i stuff that's hard it, to measure you know yeah, that's yeah it's thing. hard to measure so it's something like i want to keep an eye on but again it's it's tough uh for again actionable information because the people who drafted joe ryan 
uh, still have him. <laughs> you know, he started mm-hmm. off well. It's hard to pry those guys away. One last guy. Again, I don't know what I'm talking about with that actionable information here is Tyler McGill. Uh, I, you know, I'm a Mets fan, so I can't be totally uh, biased, <laughs> I'm biased here, but uh, I, I mean, I told everyone to pick this guy up last year in like May when he was still in like double A because uh, I, I, I thought he would be coming. That was more of an injury concern thing for, you know, deeper formats. I didn't expect what we're currently seeing. Uh, he's picked up some velocity on his fastball. He's changed his mechanics and he's a kind of like a big lumbering dude. Now he's hanging out with Scherzer and DeGrom getting pointers in spring training and earlier in the season. And uh, he is bringing the ball now an average in 96, which if you kind of, uh, you ever listen to like, Eno Saris, uh, if you've done study on Yusei Kikuchi, it's, it's a, uh, there's that kind of shelf, right? At like 93, 94, 95. Once you can cross from like 94 to 96, the results are like so much better. And, and Tyler McGill has made it into that next area. And he's his, um, he can touch like 99 at times. So it's, uh, it's his secondary stuff looks great so far. He's, he kind of works in his changeup and slider changeup is something he just developed last year. Uh, looks good. Uh, Nick Pollock actually comped him to Brandon Woodruff, someone that he thought if he could just have that nice mid nineties fastball, uh, and, and, and just, just like average or above secondaries, he can kind mm-hmm. of like come at you and dominate. And that's kind of the way it looks so far. I mean, I mean, am I wrong here? I mean, I'm, I got my rose colored glasses on. Uh, I like what I see big dude bringing solid mechanics, got a nice three pitch mix. I, I mean, he, he looks, he, he looks legitimate and I'm not sure I would be looking to move him, uh, in a, any kind of a buy or any kind of a sell high situation. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And you know what you said right at the top about him, just being, imagine being a young pitcher and being able to hang out with Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer and learn from those guys through osmosis or whatever. Um, that's got to be fantastic for a young pitcher. And if you've got talent to be able to kind of put some of those things into play, um, I think that's that's a wonderful situation for him. And again, like Kyle Wright, because he didn't have a spot in the rotation, you know, uh, at least when a lot of drafts were going on because we thought DeGrom would be healthy. Um, he's almost like, you know, free and he's on your roster and now he's doing great. So um, I, I think the the fact that he's got, you know, 22 strikeouts and three walks and has, has shown that amount of control is fantastic and the Mets are playing well behind him and that's why you get you know three wins in in your starts because you've got a good defensive team behind you and you've got a good offensive team behind you so things are things are lining up awfully well and uh and and the other thing too one other thing I noticed is that his his um his success against left-handed batters this year is what's kind of taken him to the next level. That's that's the major difference that I saw, and you know that could be something that developed from talking with Degrom and Scherzer. I mean that that to me is seems like something you could be able to learn from guys that do it really well. How should I attack these left-handed guys that have worn me out in you know in previous uh, at bats? How can I get better against them? He's done that so far this season. Yeah, last year he. Um... He, he was working on his changeup. Uh, like I said, he just, it's a pitch he developed at the high minors, and he was working on it every step of the way. 
he kind of threw it to everybody, a 50-50 mix, righties and lefties. Um, this year, nine so far, he's thrown two righties, 65 to lefties. He has identified it as a weapon versus left-handed pitching, and he's working his slider more versus right-handers. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. obviously working very well. Um, and on top of, I said, he's, uh, this is Tyler McGill we're talking about. He, he did gain that extra velocity, and not just that, it's his actual uh, efficiency on his fastball. His uh, his spin, his uh, his active spin was 90 percent last year it's 96 it's actually resulted in like less drop which means more rise more you know this is what you want to see on a fastball it's coming off you know you're coming off an elevated position everybody you want it to the fastball to kind of look like it's rising towards the hitter and that's exactly what we're seeing more of so mm-hmm. he's a he would actually be a buy high for me because i mean you got it all i the beholder of your league i feel like kyle wright maybe has too much helium where his cost may be too much but tyler mcgill it's still he doesn't have the pedigree right did. So I think that there's yeah. still something in the back of people's minds where there's certain people. I mean, if a Mets fan has him, you're not getting him. Um, but if, if it's someone else that I think that there's an opportunity here to actually give them more than what they paid for him in a draft, but you still make out ahead. I mean, buying high is, is tricky, but I feel like McGill may actually fall into that category. Um, how do you feel about like buying high in general? Cause it's not something people do often, but no. Um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's something that uh, that's worth looking into. Obviously, you have to pick your spots, and you have to really like a player. And I, I think McGill is one of those guys. I'm I'm with you there. I think I think McGill is somebody that we've you know as a collective industry may have overlooked, um, possibly because he didn't have that you know guaranteed spot in the rotation. He was the sixth guy, but. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're they're booting him from this rotation anytime soon. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I think I think he's safe. Um, so uh, we're running a little long. So can we skip a couple of hitters and we're gonna go to the last part of our segment real quick? Just some quick questions uh, for Steve. Uh, it's just, do you believe it? And it's pretty much, uh, do you believe? And uh, several things I want to ask you. Kind of get his quick thoughts. So the right. question number one: Do you believe that Cody Bellinger is back? I, I want to believe, but uh, you know, the, the hard hit rate, he's, he's like in the 92nd percentile with hard hit rate problem with Bellinger for me is just the swing and miss 32.4% K rate this year, which is double what it was in his MVP year. I, I don't think he's all the way back. Um, he's not going to sink you, but uh, I'm concerned still. Yeah. So I, you know, if, if I, not much actionable you can do there. Uh, there's some yeah. people that may be looking to buy, but if someone drafted him, you know, they're probably not about to let him go. Uh, do you believe uh, that Kyle Gibson is this good? The caveat being we saw him be this good last year early. Right. He, added that, he added that cutter. Uh, he worked with the slider more. Uh, he got traded over to Philly. He wasn't as good in the second half, but again, we don't know it, what that had to do with. It could have just been him just wearing down, uh, but He's someone who gets innings and he's off to another fantastic start. So, Steve, do you believe that Kyle Gibson is this good? I'm I'm still skeptical. Um, uh, his his uh, fastball is is down nearly a mile per hour from last year, um, and that's early in April. You know, some pitchers, I guess, get a dead arm, um, but uh, I I don't know. The results have been great. I don't know that uh, I believe that they will continue. My friend John Legaza, MLB moving averages. We have a few shared ter- teams together, and he mm-hmm. kept trying to push Kyle Gibson on me. And I was, I, I was like you, where I was so skeptical. I didn't want him. 
I didn't want him at all. And now I'm like, he's just throwing it in my face. <laughs> Should have gotten more of them. So um, anyway, that's Kyle Gibson. Uh, Steve, do you believe that Whit Merrifield will turn it around? Before you answer. Caveat. I don't think anyone thinks he's going to bat 127. I don't mean, no. do you, I, I mean, do you think he's going to, how about this? Do you think he'll return value? Because I, I jumped ship on him like two years ago. I saw yeah. the aging curve, the expected batting average. Everything started to fall. He's someone who needs like 700 plate appearances kind of to return value. So um, I was proven wrong then, but I mean, it's, it's certainly coming for him. He's currently got a negative seven weighted runs created plus. I don't think anyone believes that that is going to occur, uh, but um, quite unproductive. Uh, do you think Whit Merrifield, I guess, do you think he'll return value? Do you believe he is a buy low? What do you think of Whit Merrifield? Yes and yes. Um, I think that you know the volume is going to be there, and he has been remarkably injury-free throughout his career. The, the Royals continue to lead him off. He's their best option in that number one spot. And you know, batting average on balls in play, one fifty-one. Uh, I think that says an awful lot about why he's hitting you know one twenty-seven. So uh, yeah, I think I think better days are definitely in store for him. I wasn't sure what you were going to say there, but I will say I've watched a lot of Royals games. I don't know why. (laughs) Maybe Bobby Witt Jr. I just happen to see a lot of uh, Royals games. I've seen Witt Merrifield at the plate. Looks good to me. Like uh, Steve mentioned the batting average for balls in play. He's hitting the ball. I've seen him hit it hard. He looks just as sharp as always at the plate. So I agree. Um, Do you believe that Bobby Dalback is droppable? He was someone that was a high helium guy, didn't really affect his ADP much, still went at the back end of drafts, so people aren't losing much. There are hot players to be brought in, um, and you need to kind of rotate the back end. So if you're in a shallower format, he's looking. He hasn't looked great. Um, Tristan Cassis looks fantastic in the minors. You got to worry about that too. If like, you know, I mean, if I needed a hitter and Lamont Wade's coming off, the IL and I have an opportunity to swap them out. I'm thinking about doing it. And this is someone who believed in Bobby Dalback. Uh, uh, and, and I thought he had potential 40 plus home run power. So do you believe that Bobby Dalback is dropping? Yeah. Um, I, I think it, in shallower leagues. Yes. And the, the fact that Tristan Casas is on the way, um, maybe a lot closer than, uh, than we may know um, that, Definitely, there's nowhere else really that Dahlbeck can play. Speaking of which, you know, we were talking about those uh, the baseball forecaster blurbs. I think Bobby Dahlbeck was one of those upside guys, and his upside was 50 home runs. Oh. So, uh, I mean, you see something like that, um, and you're like, "Whoa, all right then." Um, but yeah, and by the, the way, he can he can hit five home runs in the next three days. So, I mean, that's it's really early. Easily. So yeah. you got to make these decisions, though. Uh, so that's Bobby Dalback. Do you believe that Robbie Ray is a buy low? I think so. I mean, we talked a little bit about him uh, earlier, and the, I, I was I was kind of out on Robbie Ray in draft season because the price was too high, and and his strand rate from last year was ridiculous, some like eighty some percent, ninety percent, or something like that. Uh, so I wasn't going to to get him at price, but if his if his value has dropped to the point where you know you're you're offering me uh, or I can offer you something for him, um, I'll consider it. I'll definitely consider it because better things. I think he's certainly better than than he's shown in the early going. All right, that's Robbie Ray. And then the last question, which 
is maybe as difficult as Kyle Wright. This is the Kyle mm-hmm. Wright equivalent of hitting. Uh, do you believe yeah. that Seiya Suzuki is a sell high? I won't go into my feelings here. I will merely state that his current, uh, let me get this right. His current weighted runs created plus is 206. He's batting 327, which is, <laughs> I mean, in the first couple of weeks, he was batting like over 400. He's batting 327, yeah. 463, 635 with four home runs and a stolen base. Um, you know, the, he's coming a little bit back down to earth now. So I guess now is decision time. Is, uh, is Seiya Suzuki a sell high? For me, no. I, I'm I'm going to hang on to him and ride this wave because I, I, I think one of the things that doing a deep dive on him in the preseason, the, the plate discipline is outstanding. It's continued as a major leaguer. The power is there. We haven't seen a whole lot of, of speed from him yet, but he could steal some bases. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit more room for upside there. Uh, so uh, if, if you need to sell high, Go ahead, but uh, I'm I'm holding and going to take the benefits of of what he's going to do all season long. He's such a, he's such a fun player to watch. Yes, uh, yeah, I would I would have it's it's hard, especially if you did draft him. I will say I have zero shares. Um, I don't didn't know what to make of him, um, which is kind of my policy. If there is too many question marks, I I mm-hmm. do not draft you, and I don't. His ADP also shifted so much. It depended room to room. I didn't know when to take him. I don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't take him or like Ramon Laureano because I like, it's like, I don't know when, who's going to, who, how anyone feels about him in this, when anyone's going to jump in and grab him. Luckily, I, I passed them both up and took Michael Conforto. That no. <laughs> worked out great for me. Um, so yeah, a bad call on my part, but yeah, if I had Suzuki, I wouldn't be looking to let him go unless someone did blow me away. Uh, because right. I mean, there, there could obviously be someone who wants him way more than you do, which is kind of the last piece of advice I can give anyone for early season trades, maybe a two for one, you know, yeah, or like, like everyone's available. It does not matter who you like and dislike on your own team. Mm-hmm. Um, the only idea is if someone offers you more for a player than you, than they're worth to you, you accept. So, you know, everyone's a buy, uh, everyone's a sell high if someone's willing to buy them for more than they're worth. And I think that is something um, that a lot of people maybe don't necessarily take advantage of much where, you know, if a player's off to a hot start, Sometimes just go, uh, if you especially pay attention in like auction leagues, if someone was like bidding a guy up, you take note of who's interested because you never know, um, you know, might be able to, you know, make your team better even by trading a player you don't want to. Yep, indeed. And uh, it's funny because uh, Gray Albright and I uh, in NL Tout Wars got into a bidding war over Suzuki and uh, it was, it, it reached, I went to 28 and he went 29 and that's where that's where it went out but um so yeah i was i was definitely definitely in on him but uh ray just wanted him more <laughs> that's the way it goes sometimes i love auction leagues by the way everyone mm-hmm. who if you haven't done one try one next year they're great in uh, much better in person but still if you want to do online still fantastic it's you can build any team you want I mean, it, what's cooler than that? Just uh, be dedicated to uh, taking a few hours <laughs> out of your day. Right. It'll take a while, but it's fantastic. Uh, that'll do it for the Turn Two Podcast today. Steve, thank you so much for uh, for joining me, taking the time. 
Not that you really need to, to kind of plug anything. Everyone knows who you are, but um, kind of let everyone know like kind of where they can follow you. Do you have any like kind of upcoming projects, anything, um, anything you would like the audience to know, something they should follow? Uh, yeah, kind of anything interesting? You want to have some parting words of wisdom? Um, I, I, uh, I don't have a whole lot of words of wisdom that we haven't covered in the last uh, <laughs> last hour or anything like that. But uh, but yeah, it, remember, it's early and things can change terribly quickly um so i'll probably be writing a little bit more about that sort of stuff in my column in usa today sports weekly you can find it at fantasy.usatoday.com and uh, you can check me out on twitter i'm at steve a gardner all right thank you uh, so much for joining me again thank you for everyone for listening to the turn two podcast we'll be back next week uh be sure to uh, if you if you love the show make sure you are a subscribe leave a leave a review tell us uh give us an honest review of what you think uh really helps the show love to hear what you uh want to hear more of want to hear less of uh so yeah make sure to uh, do all that and yeah like and subscribe on youtube as well we do these live uh occasionally we'll just do some question and answer shows so you can come in and join the conversation live so uh i'm your host matt williams thank you for listening to turn two we'll see you next week everybody my oh my put me in coach i'm ready to play fantasy i know i turn two in a day but the laces and hot in my veins i can turn two in every way so i turn to you two today and smash play i'm prepared to listen the x flipping whip got me looking way past the pitches statistics all that i know and i know that who is on first he can say i'm ready to go <laughs> i ain't trying to steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it into points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two, Turn two. What they do? Win leaps Catch out Peace